You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hello. Today's Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 4. This is a letter written by Paul to the Church of Corinth. Paul's change of plans. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident in this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner, so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good day, everyone. Uh, since our services are now online, I figured that you might be watching this actually from somewhere overseas. So I thought it'd be helpful at the start of this talk to just introduce you to a little bit of Aussie slang, where we use the words uh, yeah and nah uh, in different ways. So here's the basics. If you were to say to me, do you want to go to the footy? And I was to say, yeah, that means yes. But if I was to say, nah, that would mean no. But you can combine these words as well. Do you want to go to the footy? Yeah, nah, that means no. But if I was to say, nah, yeah, that means yes. Now, you can also say, yeah, yeah, which means absolutely yes. Or you could say, nah, nah, and that means banana. Clear enough? We're thinking today about words and what they mean. We're thinking about being faithful and keeping promises. About when you say yes, can it be taken as a yes and trusted as a yes? And when you say no, can it be taken as a no and trusted as a no? I've found that I have to be particularly careful with my children on this matter. Uh, I'm an external processor, uh, so I'll often think out loud and say things like, gee, it's a nice day today. Maybe we should think about going to the park. Then if we don't go to the park, my kids will say, but dad, you promised. Did I, what? Did I, I thought I was just thinking out loud, but no, that was a rock solid sign on the dotted line, contracted promise to take us to the park. Now, our words matter, of course, don't they? Not only when we speak to our kids, uh, but in other forums as well. So, if you're a student at school or studying somewhere else and you agree to do something on a group project and you don't do it, well, that's a problem. People will feel like you can't be trusted and you don't follow through. Or the same at, at work. If you say you'll do a job or contribute something to a project and you don't do it, people will start to doubt your word, doubt that you're reliable and that you'll follow through. What about God's words, God's promises. Can what God says be trusted? Is he someone who follows through on the things that he says? That's a pretty important question, isn't it? Uh, if you are thinking about whether you should be someone who commits your life to God, to following him, to putting his words into practice and entrusting yourself to his promises, you want to be pretty sure that what God says is actually true. Following God involves making sacrificial decisions to give certain things up, to use our money, our resources, our lives in certain ways. And so we want to be pretty confident that what God has said is true, that God will follow through on the promises that he's made to us and it'll be all worth it in the end. We want to be sure that God's Yes is a yes, not a yeah, nah. Well, today's Bible passage from 2 Corinthians is really all about faithfulness and promise-keeping. 
and I'd love you to grab your Bibles and have a look at it together. It's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 12, and it goes through to chapter 2, verse 4. The background issue through this whole passage is whether Paul himself has been faithful and whether he's kept his promise to the church at Corinth. So he's promised them that he will visit them on his way to Macedonia and then he'll visit them on his way back again. But clearly, Paul has gone straight to Macedonia and hasn't gone to Corinth. And so there are people in the church who are saying, you know, that that Paul, he lacks integrity. He says stuff and he doesn't do it. He's lightweight in terms of the things that he speaks. Now, it's true that Paul has changed his plans, but he argues here that he's done it for good reason. So it's clear that what's going on here is that there's a pastoral issue in the church at Corinth, that there's a man in the church there who's done something very wrong, and Paul has needed to challenge his behaviour and to confront him about it to try and get him to change. That's involved Paul making what he calls a painful visit to Corinth. That's in chapter 2, verse 1. So that's already an unscheduled visit that Paul has made, where he's needed to confront the person in question. It's been particularly painful and messy, as conflict often is. And it seems that what has also happened is that within the church, there's been factions that have developed. Some people have sided with the man and and feel like he's in the right. Others have sided with Paul in his confrontation of this man. And so it's been messy, ugly, and very painful for Paul personally. So then he's got a dilemma. He said that he will visit them on the way to Macedonia, but is that the best thing for him to do? Will he just exacerbate the situation if he goes in there again? Will it just be painful for everyone if he makes that visit? So instead, he decides to write them a letter. He refers to that in chapter 2, verse 4. He speaks of the great distress and anguish of heart that he pours into that letter. In writing the letter, He's wanting the church in Corinth themselves to confront the wrongdoer and he's hoping that that this man will admit his fault in the situation, which is exactly what does happen as a result of that letter. We we find that out later in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. So, yes, Paul has changed his plans, but has he been fickle or unfaithful? Has he in one breath said, yes, yes, and in another breath said, no, no. Well, Paul says, yeah, nah, I did this because I love you. I did this because I thought this was the best thing for you uh, and I didn't want to create unnecessary pain in the situation. Now, if there's questions being raised here about Paul's faithfulness, about his promise-keeping, he wants us to be absolutely sure that God is faithful and that God keeps his promises. And that's where he turns his attention uh, from chapter 1, verse 18. You see, Paul and his friends have preached Jesus to the people in Corinth. They've spoken about Jesus as the centre of God's plans for the world and the one in whom all God's promises become, uh, come true. Uh, and the key verse, really, is uh, verse 20 there. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Through the Old Testament, through the first part of the Bible, 
God has made a series of promises. He's promised that he'll bless the whole world through one of Abraham's descendants. He's promised that he'll deal with humankind's sin, um, our rejection of God and, and the thing that stands between us and God. He'll deal with it so that we can be in relationship with him and live with him forever. God's promised that he's going to send a great king, someone who will rule forever with justice and mercy. Uh, This king will come from the the line of King David. God's promised that he'll pour out his Holy Spirit on all of his people, that God's spirit within us, uh, living within us, will transform us, transform our hearts, transform our lives so that we can live the way that God wants us to live. Uh, and empower us to serve him and share his good news in the world. And there are plenty of times in the Old Testament where it looks like these promises of God have fallen flat on their face. It looks like God's word will not come true. That either God can't keep the promises that he's made, that he's somehow powerless to do the things that he has said, or that God won't keep his promises, that God is so frustrated with people and their rejection of him, their sinfulness and their mistreatment of each other, that he said, forget it, I'm not going to keep those promises. But we discover that God is both willing and able to keep all of these promises, and he does it at a particular moment in history through a particular person. He does it through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of the unfulfilled promises, all of the unfinished business, all of the lingering hopes find their answer in Jesus. As Paul puts it here, they have their yes in Jesus. So the whole world receives blessing through Jesus in his coming. Sin is dealt with by Jesus through his death on the cross as he takes humankind's sin upon himself, creating access to God and removing that barrier that prevents us being in relationship with God. Jesus is the king who reigns forever. Having risen from the dead, God seats him at the right hand of the universe, at his right hand as ruler over the universe, the Lord of everything, the king who will rule forever with justice and with mercy. And it's Jesus himself who pours out his Holy Spirit on his followers, enabling them to be transformed and to serve him and share his good news in the world. This is why we as a church are so big on Jesus. We're Jesus freaks. We believe that Jesus is the center of all of God's plans, all of God's purposes throughout all of history. He is the center of it all. If you're going to understand and relate to God, if you're going to know how to best live in the world that God has made, then you need to understand Jesus because he's the center of it all. He's the one that all the threads come together in. And we need to make a response to Jesus. Uh, In verse 20, having said that all God's promises are a yes in Jesus, Paul encourages us to say a yes back to God through Jesus. So he says, 
And so through him, through Jesus, the amen, the yes, is spoken by us to the glory of God. We say yes to God by accepting Jesus as our Lord and King, as the one who guides and directs and rules our lives. And that makes sense. If Jesus is the centre of God's plans and purposes for the whole of history and for the whole world, then why wouldn't it make sense for him to be the centre of our personal lives, to give him pride of place in our plans, our purposes, and the way that we live? That's really what being a Christian is all about, being a follower of Jesus is all about saying yes to Jesus and putting him in charge of our lives in the same way that he is in charge of the whole world. If you'd like to know more about doing that, more about what it looks like to follow Jesus in this way, we'd love you to join us uh, for the online alpha that we're running at the moment. And there's more information about that at stjohnsdc.info. So God keeps his promises on the big scale of world history, and he does that through Jesus Christ. But it's not just the big, grand scale that God is faithful to his promises, but also personally as well, that God keeps his promises to you and to me. Uh, Paul writes in verse 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then God is faithfully committed to you personally. God will work to help you stick with Jesus for the long term, to stand firm in Christ. How do we know that that's the case? How do we know that that's true, that God is good for those promises that he's made to us? Well, because he's given us his Holy Spirit. That's what the rest of verse 21 and 22 is describing for us. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. There's three things that are described here. First of all, God anoints us. Now, in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, uh, kings and priests were anointed when they took up that role. Oil was poured on their head, that's how they were anointed, and then they would serve as the king or the priest. That was their new role, their new purpose, and they were initiated into it. Well, in the same way, God anoints us, not with oil, but by pouring his Holy Spirit upon us if we're followers of Jesus. And this is true of all Christians. This is one of the ways in which we see the wonderful yes of God's promises in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was only some people who had the Holy Spirit within them, certain leaders within Israel. But now with the coming of Jesus, all followers of Jesus, including you, if you're someone who trusts in him, have God's Holy Spirit living within us. God's given his Holy Spirit to initiate us into our roles of service, where we serve God in the world. That means you have a purpose. 
Your purpose is to serve Jesus. Your purpose is to love people in the way that Jesus demonstrates that we should love. Your purpose is to use the different gifts and talents and experience that God has given you to work for him in the world. Now, despite the current restrictions that we're under, where there are limitations placed upon us, that purpose and that calling remains the same. We might need to find new and different ways to do it, but we can still serve Jesus, we can still love people, and we can take his good news to other people. We might need to be creative about how we do it, but we can still do it. So what are the opportunities for you at the moment to live out your purpose as someone anointed with the Holy Spirit? What are the chances, the opportunities within your own family or with your neighbours or people who live around you to serve Jesus, to love people in his name and to share his good news with them? God's anointed us with his Holy Spirit, so he's called us for a purpose to serve him in the world. As well as anointing us with his Holy Spirit, secondly, he also seals us with the Holy Spirit. You might have seen um, the sealing of an old-fashioned letter where a a blob of hot wax was poured on the back of the envelope and then uh, a stamp, a, a seal was pressed into that hot wax. And it was a way of saying, you know, this letter is the real deal. This letter comes with the authority of the person who is sending it. Uh, It's authentic. Well, the seal that God has put on us is his Holy Spirit. Because his Holy Spirit lives within us, we're we're marked out as belonging to him. Uh, We're the real deal. We are children of God. You are a son or a daughter of the king. One of the challenges at the moment is that people are really struggling with their sense of identity. So if you find your identity in the work that you do, but your job is now gone or it's radically transformed, who who are you now? If you find your identity in playing footy or playing some other sport, but you're unable to do it at the moment, well then who are you now? If you find your identity in the fact that you care for your grandkids and that's what you do, but you can't do that because there's restrictions in terms of coming into contact with them, then who are you? It's really raising these sorts of questions for lots of people. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then your identity is secure and it isn't changed in the current circumstances. At the core of your being, you are a child of God. You're a daughter. You're a son. God's spirit lives within you and that marks you as his. It's his seal of ownership over us. And the Holy Spirit living within us helps us to understand this part of our identity. So in Romans 8, we read these words. By God's spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you know that that's who you are, that you belong to God, you are a child of God, that is 
the core part of your identity. So God anoints us, he puts his seal upon us, but he also places the spirit in us as a deposit. Now, when we bought our car two years ago, I did some research on car sales, I went and checked out the particular car, got a mechanic to look at the engine, but when I was, yep, this is definitely the car that I want to buy, what did I do? I put a deposit on it, I, I paid some money, which was a way of guaranteeing that the owner of the car wouldn't sell it to someone else. I was saying, I want this car to be mine, and it will be when I come back and pay the full amount. So too, we read here that God puts his spirit within us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Paul uses exactly this same expression and it's clear there that he's talking about resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies. That when Jesus returns, that God will raise us from the dead and he will bring us into the fullness of his new creation and the eternal life that he wants us to live. Again, in our current circumstances, we're very aware of our mortality. We're very aware of the reality of death before us, it's front of mind. We're aware of how frail our bodies are, how vulnerable we are, that this tiny invisible virus can cause great harm to us and to our society. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then God has already put his deposit down on you. Actually, he's put his deposit in you, the Holy Spirit. It's his guarantee that he will bring you into the fullness of all that he has promised. He won't abandon you to death. He's got way more in store for you than that. The Holy Spirit living within us is just a taste of what is to come. When Jesus returns and when all the fullness of God's plan come to their stunning conclusion when all God's promises that he's made are realised in all their fullness, when we're no longer bound in these earthly, frail, mortal bodies which are racked by sickness and pain and grief, then we will have the fullness of God's Spirit within us, empowering everything that we do and live in the fullness of the new creation uh, that God is bringing into being. God's spirit living within us now is a deposit that all of this is coming, that there's more coming. And so, brothers and sisters, the challenge for us today is stand firm. Stand firm in Jesus, stick with Jesus, cling to Jesus. Jesus is the yes to all of God's promises throughout all of history. God's purposes, God's plan, everything that God is doing in the world, have their yes in Jesus. And God is faithful to you personally and he will strengthen you in Jesus Christ. His spirit has anointed you to serve him. You have a purpose. His spirit is his seal of ownership on you. You have an identity. His spirit is a deposit within you, giving you a hope and a future. Physical distancing and the restrictions we have placed on us 
cannot change your purpose, your identity, and your hope. Loss of work or loss of other activities cannot change your purpose, your identity, and your hope. Even the threat of death cannot change your purpose, your identity, and your hope. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. When God says something, he does it. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all God's plans and purposes in the world. And God is faithful to you. He will help you to stand firm in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.